Well, friends, if you would head over to Romans chapter 6, we're looking at that again today. Romans chapter 6, page 1606. In the Bibles provided for you, page 1606, Romans chapter 6, we're going to read the first uh, 14 verses there. Romans 6, 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? No, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Beloved in Christ, last week we began a series of messages about something we call union with Christ. One of the ways that followers of Christ, those who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, that we describe our salvation, right? Mysteriously, miraculously, followers of Christ, those who trust in him for salvation, are united with him. We are united with Christ. Now, last week, I confess, the uh, message got disguised a little bit as a sermon on baptism, because we witnessed the sacrament of baptism administered to Charlie Jean Vanderlaan, right? And we talked all about how Catholics think one way about baptism in union with Christ, and Baptists think another way, and Christian Reformed folks in the Reformed tradition think yet another way about baptism in union with Christ. Well, today we're going to talk more about union with Christ, what union with Christ actually means. Last week, we focused on when union with Christ happens for believers and their children. At baptism today, we'll talk about what being with Christ actually means. Now, if you recall from last week, we said the Apostle Paul describes union with Christ with three phrases. Number one, being with Christ. Then number two, Paul's all-time favorite way of talking about union with Christ, being in Christ. He says it a ton, and we'll get to it next week. And then number three, Christ in us. But we won't get to that one until mid-January, because guess what? Advent is on the way. My, isn't it January yet? Wow. 
go so fast. So here we go for round two today about being with Christ. There's a song, I'm sure you know it. We sing it during the season of Lent and hear it especially during Passion Week. We sing this song. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? You know that one? Yes? Yeah? Continue singing it with me if you don't mind, would you? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And then it goes on with other verses, right? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Were you there when God raised him from the tomb? Well, hearing that song, I'm pretty convinced, aren't you, that the song is filled with rhetorical questions. And you know that rhetorical questions are those questions that fully expect an affirmative yes to them. Were you there? Yes. Were you there with Christ? Yes. If you could advance the slide. Were you there with Christ 2,000 years ago? Were you when he died and when he rose from the dead? Were you there with him, with Christ in his death, with Christ in his resurrection? And though we know the questions are supposed to be rhetorical, yes, we were with Christ back then. It also sounds like all kinds of crazy, doesn't it? One of my first vivid memories in my life goes back over 50 years ago to a Sunday evening. My dad and mom woke me up just before 11 p.m., 10 p.m. in Chicago where I was living. And Neil Armstrong, about to be the first to step on the moon, very first time ever a human being would do it. My parents had my sister and me watch it on that Sunday night, July 20, 1969. You're never going to forget this, they said. At four years old, I was half asleep, but I do remember. That's my earliest vivid memory, 1969. But you know what? I'd need another 1,900 years or so to be at the witness at the crucifixion of Jesus and to be able to say, yes, oh, I was there when they crucified my Lord. That's how crazy this idea is. Were you there with him? Crazy. But the Apostle Paul in Romans 6 and in many other places in Scripture wants us to believe that for Christians this crazy notion is true, that we died and rose with Christ in his death and resurrection. So let me ask you the question again. Were you with Christ in his death and resurrection? Yes? Now, how can we answer that question with a yes, though? How can we? We obviously can't say that we were somehow living in 33 AD, somehow mysteriously walking the path to Golgotha with Jesus and physically hanging on the cross with Jesus and placed in the tomb right along with Jesus and breaking free from that tomb with Jesus at the resurrection. We can't say that simply because we weren't physically there with Jesus. To say so is a little nuts, but Paul is adamant. You followers of Jesus were with Christ. You were with Christ in these events that changed the world. So how does Paul explain himself? Where is he leading us here in Romans chapter 6? What alternative way to think about this does he give us? Does he give us the truth of what it means to die and rise with Christ? And the answer is yes. 
He does, of course. In our scripture, Paul talks most completely and strikingly about our dying and rising with Christ. Let's start with our being with Christ in his dying. First of all, we'll split it up. There's dying with Christ and rising with Christ. So look at verse 10 of chapter 6. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. You see there that Jesus died to sin. And the result of this for us, if you skip ahead to verse 14, we read, For sin shall no longer be your master. Or another version says, maybe you're familiar with it, sin will have no dominion over us. What you have us to see here, what you have to see from these verses, is that Jesus died to sin. Sin was the object of Christ's death. And Christ did something to sin. The sin of the world, not his own sin. There was no sin in Jesus. Christ did something to sin at his death so that it could not hurt or destroy him any time thereafter. Paul, you understand, looks at sin as, if, as a powerful enemy that can make a prisoner, a slave out of a human being. He almost talks about it as if it is a person. Sin can have dominion over a human being. Sin can be your master. But what Paul is saying to us is that now that's no more a reality for followers of Christ. That will never happen to Christ, for Christ defeated this powerful enemy called sin. Christ beat it, trounced it, destroyed it. Like he trounced another of those powerful enemies, death. In verse 9, Paul says, even death no longer has mastery over him. And so also the same thing with sin. Jesus Christ died to sin. He took this sin and every facet of the old world order, the old creation, the old situation, the old world powers, and was victorious over them at the cross so that they are powerless against him. Sin is powerless against Jesus. The old creation is powerless against Jesus. Let me explain it in the, in the creative way that uh, Lewis Smedes explains it. He writes, sin, in Romans 6, is objectified as the rule of evil over life. It's like a secret police force haunting us, tracking us, preparing to knock on our door in the middle of the night to claim us. It is like a man pressing a lawsuit against us. It's like a straight jacket that binds us. But dying with Christ, being dead to sin, we are given asylum and citizenship in a totally new country with new laws and new rulers. The old world order has no claim on us and no power to extradite us for judgment. Beloved people of God, dying with Christ is an event that happens to us. Now, sometimes we don't live as people who died to sin, right? We really mess ourselves up with sin instead. But this only reveals our country of origin, that we still feel at home in the old country. Was anyone here not born in the United States? If you were not born in the U.S., please stand up. Just stand up if you weren't born in the U.S. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Where were you born? Where were you born? South Korea, where were you? Canada? Netherlands. Canada. Yeah. Oh, I'm back there. Philippines. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, that's, that's your old country. 
right? That's another one. Rwanda, yes, thank you, thank you. That's, that's your old country. You can sit down, yeah. Um, that's, that's how we talk about sin, too. That's, that's part of the old country, the old creation, the, the, the fallen creation, all right? And from time to time, sometimes a lot of the time, sadly, we speak the old language, enjoy the old food, sin the old sins. But we're no longer citizens there. We're dead to that old country. We aren't under its laws anymore or under its power. Our citizenship is in a new order, a new creation. Yes, we sin, and we even find ourselves enjoying it sometimes, but slowly, almost imperceptibly, God changes that little by little too. The point is, when, you, when you've died with Christ, you are not under sin's power anymore. It cannot destroy you. It cannot spiritually kill you. That power of sin has been defeated, undone, destroyed. Christ accomplished a change, a situational change in the cosmic balance of power in the world. The old world powers are crushed. They're undone at the cross, at Calvary. This happened. It really did. At the cross, outside Jerusalem, Christ dealt them, dealt those old powers a death blow. He trounced them. The old powers, including sin, our sinful nature, death, the law, the world, Satan, his demons, they cannot touch Christ anymore. And they cannot touch us anymore. They're undone at the cross. And because this is true, because those powers are undone, because they can't touch us, because this is true, our status, our identification is for each one of us, person who died with Christ. That's our new name, our new status, our new ID. I don't know any of those people, okay, just so you know. Person who died with Christ. In the same way those powers are undone for Christ, they're undone for us. And because of this truth, we are said to have died with Christ. Person who died with Christ. That's you. That's me. I am person who died with Christ. Believers are. That's my new ID. I have a friend with a cell phone that is wrapped with a leather cover or case. And in that case are slots for, well, for cash and debit cards and a driver's license. And he says, you know, I never forget my license anymore. Because I always carry my phone with me, but I forget my wallet. Now they're combined. I'll never forget my wallet again. I forget my wallet sometime. I'm thinking of trying out this method. Because like a lot of people, my cell phone goes everywhere with me. I pay much more attention to where that is than most anything else. But let's say I didn't have my license. Let's say I got pulled over. Oh, no. Happened to my dad once. He was a block from home, so all was well. But what would I do if I got pulled over? <clears throat> Cop comes to the window. License and registration, please. You know the drill. Maybe you don't know the drill. That's what happened. Um, well, I forgot my license. But I can tell you who I am. I am person who died with Christ. Person who died with Christ. Got a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Sounds like... Um, it sounds like Tom Hanks in the old Castaway movie when he figures out how to make fire. He's so proud. I have made fire. Yeah, I, I am a person with, died with Christ. That's me. 
Now, guess what? It gets much better. I am also person who rose with Christ. I am risen with Christ. I am person who rose with Christ. I live to Christ. You and I have been resurrected with Christ. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. God made us alive with Christ. God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In some strange, mysterious, uh, marvelous, awesome way, just like being with Christ in his death, we are also with Christ in his resurrection. He's partnered us with him in it so that we can say already now before we enter heaven that we are already risen there with Christ. <clears throat> Strange language the Apostle Paul uses because we're not resurrected yet completely. The Apostle Paul is realistic enough to say that much more, much more is coming when we enter into and see Christ's bodily, physical presence in glory in heaven. But he does stress that our being risen with Christ is in fact accomplished right now for those who believe. Right now, we are risen with Christ. In Romans 6 at verse 11, Paul says, count yourselves alive to God in Christ Jesus. He's talking about the present and about the fact that we are risen with Christ in the present in 2022. We are risen with Christ just as we have died with Christ. We are people who died and rose with Christ. Both of them. You see them? They're both up there now. What Paul is saying is that being with Christ in his resurrection right now means far more than simply a guarantee that our corpses someday will somehow be recreated, resuscitated. It's much more than that. To say we have risen with Christ is not simply a hopeful look to the future when we'll have glorious new bodies. It is that, but much more. We have come alive to God by being risen with Christ today. We've come alive. We live in that new world order, that new situation that Jesus has brought to this world at his death. So that coming alive to God, rising with Christ, means that we gain a new point of orientation in our lives, which is Christ. We orient our lives towards him. We are given a new goal to glorify Christ. We have a new direction to live under the lordship of Christ. And more than that, Coming to alive to God means we live by a new power, a resurrection power. Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. We're truly free to live in a setting, a new setting where Christ reigns supreme. Free to live under new conditions where Christ's love rules. Free to live with a new style of action where Christ's love is acted out by us. Free to live in power over our sin. Did you hear it? Free to live in power over our sin. Let it sink in. We have Christ's power over our sin so as to slowly but surely put sin behind us as Christ's spirit and we ourselves go about the work of sanctification, being made holy like Jesus. Being raised with Christ is so much more than knowing we'll live forever in heaven someday. It's that, and that's fantastic, but it's so much more. We come to live in all the things Christ raised us to live in, in freedom, 
in righteousness, in power, hope, and confidence, in holiness, we come to live in a new world order that he won for us at his death and initiated for us in his resurrection. What God has done is he has assigned us, designated us to this new world order, to the new situation in which Christ rules as Lord. God has assigned us to it. We don't somehow earn our place there. God puts us there. God puts you and me there. Imagine how quickly the good news would turn ugly if God said, Grunboom, well, I've got this great new world order for you, instituted by Christ. Would you care to join him? Care to hop on? Go ahead. Join him. Unite yourself to him. Well, what's the matter? Can't you do it yourself? And we'd try and try and try, and we'd fail and fail and fail, or we'd never try at all even. A couple months back, Allison and I took grandson Ellis to the museum to see the pterosaur exhibit, like pterodactyls, right, and other ones like them, the big flying-type dinosaurs. He's big into dinosaurs, but he also wanted to ride, we also did want to ride the carousel. So much fun, but man, do they have rules. They're posted even. No running, no moving once it starts. Stay on the horse you chose for the whole ride. Wait for the ride to come to a complete stop. All for safety, and it all makes sense. Imagine little five-year-old Alice trying to jump on the ride once it's going full speed. Go ahead, Alice, you can make it. Uh, no, he can't, sir. Are you, are you the boy's grandpa? And, and there goes grandpa taken away by security. This did not happen, all right? It's just my imagination. Of course, not. it didn't happen, but, but, but then again, it couldn't. It couldn't. The ride going full speed, little five-year-old Els trying to get on. Can't happen, won't work. What had to happen was at full stop, someone needed to help Ellis onto the ride, then onto the horse and stay by his side with a hand on his back even to keep him steady and calm. Well, that's God's good news, friends. Jesus walks us onto the ride, sets us down, holds our hand, puts an arm around us, and tells us, all right, let's begin. Like a five-year-old standing beside a, 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 a quickly moving carousel, we can't get on that ride ourselves. There's nothing we can do to get on that ride. Nothing we can do to somehow earn our union with Christ, our salvation. But once Jesus puts us on the ride, the things we do, they simply say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for putting me into this mysterious union with you. Thank you for letting us enjoy this union. Thank you for including the, the, the co-resurrection of a sinner like me in the union you've placed me in, placed us in. Union with Christ. We're included by God with Christ in his resurrection. Amazing. United with Christ in his death united with Christ in his resurrection? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Yes, you are there. Were you there when God raised him from the tomb? Yes, you are there. Check your ID once more. You are. Oh, we missed one there. Go back once. Is it gone? There it is. Okay, you are person who died with Christ. You are person who rose with Christ. You will carry that identification with you always. You'll never forget that ID 
at home. It is a part of you because you, you are united with Christ. That's where God put you. He put your name right there. Your name. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful that you have done what you've done through Jesus Christ at the cross and at the resurrection. And that somehow, mysteriously, for believers in Christ, you, you've united us with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. You've placed us right there with him. How you did it. Incredible mystery. But you did it. And we're thankful that now that we are there as followers of yours, we can live for Jesus. We can live for him. Giving thanks as a way to give thanks for what he has done. Placed us right there. Given us that new identity. Person united with Christ in his death, in his resurrection. We're thankful for all that means for us. And we praise you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.